Gumption. Defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, and shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode number eight of the Stories of Gumption podcast, having conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and in my opinion, just really, really impressive people. So before we get to that, we uh, have two sponsors. Yes. So things are moving up in the Stories of Gumption world. We had one uh, sponsor for a few episodes here, but now we have two. So the first one, You've been listening to the podcast. You've probably heard of them already, but Open Gate Farmstead. A stone's throw away from the mighty Osable River, Open Gate Farmstead is a first-generation farm specializing in free-range free poultry. Poultry, that's, that's a thing now. Uh, free-range poultry, pasture-aged pork, and seasonal produce. The farm is run on a simple principle. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. You will find their chickens eating bugs on pasture, their pigs enjoying a mud bath or some acorns, and if you're lucky, the geese will be enjoying the pond. To watch and experience the Open Gate Farmstead journey, check them out on YouTube page, Open Gate Farmstead, or check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Reach out to them on social media and try the Farm Fresh difference. And if you haven't heard, uh, if you're a Gumption listener and you want to try some of their eggs, they will give you a dollar off your first order. Just let them know you heard about them from the gumption podcast and uh they'll hook you up maybe they'll even give you some duck eggs those are my favorite uh we are also sponsored by slight drum roll (laughs) kavanaugh realty i'm i'm really uh pumped to have uh kavanaugh realty sponsoring the stories of gumption podcast uh they are a local independent real estate company helping neighbors buy and sell their homes Pretty simple, pretty simple mission, but they crush it. Uh, hashtag local matters. And uh, I just want to put in a little personal note. I think we're very blessed in the North Country, greater Plattsburgh region to have a ton of very capable and excellent real estate companies to choose from. Um, but my wife and I, we bought our home with uh, Kavanaugh Realty, and it was a phenomenal experience. Galen Trombley went above and beyond for us. He uh, actually... Uh, helped us late night hour, put together an offer, and secured the home that we're in today. So um, certainly a very uh, big thank you to Kavanaugh Realty. Now, the big moment. Here it is. Uh, Episode 8 of the Stories of Gumption podcast. I am with Hannah Provost. I am super pumped to have Hannah here. Uh, She is a partner at Lamanto & Company. She's a past chair of the United Way of Adirondack Region campaign. She's the, uh, she won an award from the North Country Chamber of Commerce in 2014 as Volunteer of the Year. In 2015, she was recognized by the Girl Scouts uh, of the Northeast Region as a woman of distinction. And she is a past president of the Adirondack Young Professionals, short name ADKYP. You'll hear more about that. So... 
Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. It's good to be here. Awesome. Super pumped to have you here. Um, so I think um, I was thinking about it. And, and obviously, we're friends. But I was like, where did I really meet Hannah? And I was thinking, and I'm like, man, uh, maybe it was through ADKYP, I yeah, think. Yeah, and I think it it was. We might have met in passing before. We run in the same circles, but um, we really got to know each other through ADKYP. Crazy, crazy cool story. Yeah, so you were the president of that organization now, and I think that was 2013, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so here we are, 2019, and now you're looking across the mic, and I'm on my third year of being president of that organization. Um Interesting times. Interesting times. <laughs> uh, I finally announced that uh, I'm I'm going to be retiring. But uh, yeah, I'll lend you my retirement speech. Y- yeah, <laughs> you recycle it. They won't remember it. <laughs> yeah. How was your experience with with ADKYP? Uh, ADKYP was a really great experience for me overall. I think that it was the perfect place for me really early in my career. Um, I got thrown in and said, "Go do something." And so the something I found was ADKYP. Um, It was a time when they needed some leadership, and so I came on first as the secretary and eventually became the president of the organization. I got used to running board meetings and reaching out to people to try to organize events, um, meeting with people that were complete strangers to me to talk about coming into the area, and um, it just gave me a lot of skills that I was lacking at that point in my Mm. career. It was like a master class in it in like a really short period of time. Um, it also found me banging my head against the wall plenty of times. <laughs> I, was <laughs> wait, I, was, I was waiting. I was waiting for that part yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, now you know, years down the road, I can say that was a really good thing. I mean, things get frustrating during times, so um, I've kind of learned how to deal with it and move on on a high note, and it's been wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the organization ebbs and flows generally. I think um, I think the mission attracting and retaining young people to the greater Plattsburgh area is a good one. And there's a lot of other young professional organizations that try to do that too. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting organization because like we were talking before the podcast, I mean, you're asking young people, oftentimes graduates from right out of college to step up into a level of maturity and experience that they could not possibly have had yet. Exactly. And that they're not going to get anywhere else. Right. You can't just walk into the rotary and say, I want to be president now. I mean, yeah. it doesn't work that way. So right. it doesn't usually happen for people in their careers yet at that point. And even if you try to do it for free on the side, people aren't going to give you that level of responsibility. And so I think ADKYP has a really core role to this region and like helping build the next class of leaders. Yeah. I mean, look at us. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Look at you, <laughs> crushing it. Partner at Lamento and Company. We'll get into that. That was, that was, uh, that's that's really exciting for you, and I'm glad we're going to have a chance to talk about that. Um, first off, what is your definition of gumption? I'm curious. Like, I know that it's kind of been a fun thing to talk about gumption with the guests that I've had on so far. And our last episode with Amy Kretzer, she got into a lot of cool perspectives on what gumption is to her. What's gumption to you? Um, So to me, gumption is really kind of falling down and getting back up anyway. Um, Maybe doing things a little bit before you're really ready for it and just saying, I'm doing it anyway. This is what's happening. Um, So 
that's, I think, how you really move your life forward in a lot of different ways, on the personal side, on the career side. Um, Gumption is saying, I may not be ready for this role yet, and I'm probably going to fail, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a try anyway. I like it. So next question, what's your story of gumption? Yeah. Uh, so in think getting ready for this, I kind of thought about all the different failures that I've had in life because that's kind of <laughs> where it starts from, right? Like yeah. that's kind of step one yeah. and then you move on to the rest. And there have been a lot and I've been really lucky that some of the most devastating things for me have turned into the life that I live now that I, I love. Like it couldn't have happened without all the failures first. Um, so, but thinking about things that I felt like really personally responsible, really big failures, um, I kind of think back to as, as a backstory, I did well in high school. I was in the honor society. I, um, was in AP classes. I was working. And so I kind of had my own money, my own car and like life was going my way. It was pretty great. Knowing you today, that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I get out of high school. I'm going to UVM. It was like I applied to like five colleges and I got into all of them, right? So nice. Start with a little bit of a brag. Yeah. <laughs> so right. that you can understand the rest of the story. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. So I get to UVM and I just, I hate it. I just hate everything about it. Um, the party culture was really mm. a shock to me and not pleasant. Uh, the classes were big. I felt like I was just kind of lost. And so um, by the second semester of my freshman year, I had moved off campus. And by the end of freshman year, I was done. I was totally out of it. And so couldn't, it just wasn't working for you. No. Did you grow up in the North country? Sorry to interrupt, but that's fine. No, I grew up in Connecticut, but my parents are both from Burlington. Oh, I get the connection now. Okay. Yeah. And so I had always visited and thought, oh, you know, this is, I'm comfortable here. I like it here. I'm not home, but I'm still somewhere that I know a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, And I was an environmental studies major. And so what better place to study environmental studies? Not environmental science, because that's kind of hard stuff. Right, right. (laughs) Um, But what better place to kind of study save the world economics, as my friends called it, um, than UVM. It was perfect. Um, And my parents both have master's degrees. It was like a sure thing. So I get to the point where I'm dropping out of UVM. And as a consolation, I apply for this job at... Um, a kid's clothing store and I walk in to try to be like a assistant manager and they're like, you know what? You can just run the whole thing. You can be the general manager. I was like, yes. All right. This is oh, my wow. bounce back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. All <laughs> it's right. like the consolation prize. I was yeah. like, all right, well, if I'm not going to be able to be like the college grad that I thought I'd be, at least I can do this while I'm trying to figure things out. So I got really, really into it. I developed an inventory system. I hired my own staff. I was doing Um, the scheduling and the ordering and doing sales and all kinds of things. I was loving it. It was like such a big part of my identity that I had come back from this place and was crushing it. I was so happy. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great until I get to work one day and my new boss walks in and spends two hours telling me what a bad job I'm doing and then fires me. No. So as it happened, we were also moving that weekend. And so I came home and I was like, all right, well, flunked out of college. Not not with grades, but, you know, I was out. College dropout. College dropout. Fired. What now? I had no, no concept of what to do next. So I needed to pay rent. Yeah. How'd you pull yourself out of that? I can't, I can't even imagine 
what would be going through my head at that time? Yeah. I got to, um, I, I needed rent and I knew that I really didn't want any more rejections at that point. And so, mm-hmm. um, I went to my local Kmart and applied that was, and I, I do not hold anyone who's worked at Kmart in retail in low regard. It's a really hard job, but that was a low point for me. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I went from having all these aspirations of, you know, going to college and saving the world. And now I'm going to go work at Kmart. <laughs> this is my only plan right now. Wow. So yeah, it was tough. So I went to go um, work at Kmart, ended up getting promoted to the point where I was an office manager and things really started to turn around. I think I kind of had to get to a bit of a low point for things to start changing for me. Um, got a promotion. I met my husband, Brad there, which was wonderful. Um, and within a year I was working at a bank instead of in retail, better hours, you know, more room for advancement. And it really kind of started my career path, but it was totally backwards. Which is where I met you when you were working at a bank. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I, I mean, at that point in time, I mean, I looked up to you. I was like, wow, Hannah can do no wrong. Like Hannah's crushing it. She's a branch manager at one point at a bank. And I was like, wow, this is, that's awesome. I never would have known that. That takes a lot to pull yourself up out of that. It was tough. I lost a lot of self-respect in that process and had to like start over and build it again and realize that like, nope, my life is not over. We can move forward. And all, a lot of the things that are in my life now are because of that. I mean, my career came out of that. My relationship came out of that. Um, I just, it, it ended up being a blessing, but it did not feel that way at the time at all. And you went back and completed your associates, then completed your bachelor's, if I'm correct. Yep. Yeah. And then you are now a partner with Andrew Lamonto yeah. at Lamonto and Company. That's amazing. I mean, that's crazy. That's it's, cool. That's like, a, that's yeah. just like... You mentioned before the podcast, you're uh, working towards uh, another certification. Yes, I'm working on my certified financial planner designation. And it's kind of, it's been a long road. I started that path way back at the bank. Um, That's kind of what spurred me to get my bachelor's degree. Because at that point, I was kind of an adult paying bills. And I was like, oh my gosh, college is really expensive. Like there's, if I'm going to go back, there's got to be a really good reason for it. Because otherwise... I'm not doing it. I'm not going to pay, yeah. you know, take on that debt. And so um, back then I decided I wanted to be a CFP and I went back and finished my bachelor's degree and then took another 18 months worth of courses. Um, my family didn't see me for most of this winter because I was <laughs> studying. I'd go in at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning to the office and study, study, study. Wow. Um, and then I took the exam in March. So I'll find out soon. Fingers crossed. What advice would you give to somebody who's on the fence about something like that? They're like, man, I'm, I kind of want to do this, but that's going to be so hard. Like I imagine you had to change your, your entire daily, weekly routine to accomplish that. Yeah. I really think whenever you're about to make a big jump like that, give yourself time to sit with it. Like really, Mm. really sit with it every day. Be thinking about, is this something that would be fulfilling to me? What, don't think so much about what it's going to cost you, like either in time or money or effort, but think about like, can I see this for myself? Mm. And I got to the point where that was just like, when I looked at myself in the future, that had happened. And so I had to do it. Yeah. You have to go ahead with it at that point. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle too with like the decision of, is this right for me? 
Is this my, is this my right? How'd you know for sure this was, this was what you had to do. This was what you're meant to do. So that started when I was still working at Glens Falls. I had um, just gotten my Series 6 license and my 63. And so that's kind of like the training wheels of being an advisor. Yeah. There's some really great advisors out there who keep that designation and kind of stay there. Um, but it was the entry level. And I had been in a lot of different positions in my life career-wise. And that was the first one that was like, this is me. It wasn't just mm. the next step. It wasn't like, okay, well, this will be something to do for a while or it'll be more money or anything like that. It really just felt so different. It had connected. It was like, this is my life. This is what I want to do. I'm with you. I told, and, and we've talked before the podcast too about um, <clears throat> my recent change, a little over a year now, celebrating a little over a year. But yeah, I'm with you. When you finally click on something and and for me that happened to be commercial insurance right. like who would have thought <laughs> right like, if you asked me that in high school i've been like blah gross <laughs> like insurance like all the stereotypes of you know like the sleazy insurance salesman everybody has heard that phrase mm-hmm. but uh i i've found the right agency that really supports me it's a great company and i finally feel like i'm in charge of my own destiny. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you found too. And like exactly right. when it clicks, you're you just like, know. you know, how frustrating of an it's answer hard. is that? <laughs> it's still hard. Yeah. It's super hard. I wake up every day. It's hard. But, um, at least for me, you know, I nerd out on it now. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to nerd out on what you're doing. And also be okay if you're not there yet. Like it's okay mm. to be in a career and keep progressing. Don't push it and try to like seek out your destiny when it's just not the right time. It's all right to, for it to take longer. Um, yeah. I didn't know that that's what I wanted to do until I was 25. Maybe when I turn 45, I'll decide that there's some other great calling that I have. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of good things that you can have in your life before you have that great epiphany, like this is it. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I know some people who have done that like after retirement. handful of people um, just they've they've clicked like they're like oh i just i'm gonna take my retirement i'm gonna invest it into this i know some people who have started wineries Mm -hmm. uh i i had the opportunity to interview the uh these two guys um they are doing a uh a drone like surveillance business oh yeah and like they're both retired and now they're doing that it's like this huge thing um anyhow i digress but you never know it just there's chapters exactly there's chapters yeah, that's that's cool. So another interesting chapter for you that I think we could probably talk all day about because I'm just curious and I think everybody should be more curious or understanding of how it works and who's right for it, but foster parenting. Yeah. You, it's... tell me tell me your backstory leading up to that sure. and, and what, you know, and kind of your experience with foster parenting. Sure. Um, so probably at this point, six or seven years ago, my husband and I were trying to start a family and it just wasn't happening. Like there's, I know now that there are a lot of other people have gone through that and it's like heartbreaking. It's like, okay, well your body's just failing you at this point. It's not working. Um, so pretty early into that process, I thought I am not going to do like any work to try to make, like force this to happen biologically. And we started exploring foster care. 
Um, we're really lucky in Clinton County that there's a great community right here that will guide you through it. And um, the agency is located right in Plattsburgh. And so um, it's things are different state by state and county by county. And so you do have to collect your own information on, on that. But um, we took the classes. It's like a 30-hour class that you take to become a foster parent. And Really? I, yeah, it's long. Wow. Um, 10 weeks, three hours a week, um, probably... 100 pages of paperwork that has to get filled out. Um, they go through everything. They they fingerprint you. You have to go get a tuberculosis test. Um, Holy smokes. A- yeah. Address is going back 28 years. I was 24 at the time. So I literally had to put <laughs> the address of the hospital, Brigham and Win- Women's, wow. <laughs> on the application. But they delve into every piece of your life. Um, and at the same time, they almost kind of give you a little bit of marriage counseling or, or just counseling. Um, about why you want to have a family, what you think might work for you, what kind of supports you have. And for us, never having been parents before, figuring out like, what is our parenting style? What values do we have as a family? Um, It was really, really valuable. It's still something to this day I can't believe is offered by the state of New York, like something that was just so meaningful to us on a personal level and got us really ready to be foster parents. How do you how do you know if you're the right person for something like that? I mean, I'm not at a point in my life where I'm necessarily ready to be a parent, but certainly someday. Right. And I know that um, my parents would love to have grandkids, but you never know what life's going to deal you. You know what kind of cards you who who's right for that? Who's right for that? I as many foster parents as I've met. Um, there's a different type of personality that's ready for it. And so I think first and foremost, though, is being able to put your ego aside. And so not everybody can do that, and that's okay. Um, But as the foster parent, you are not the star of that show, of that whole process. Um, It's really all about the child. And um, in every case, when the child first enters care, the first goal is return to parent. And so you're there to support that whole process. Um, so where I've seen people fail at foster parenting is that they can't put that aside. They, they feel like this is me. This is, you know, I'm, I'm starting a family. This is going to go the way that I want it to. And it's the legal system and it's people's lives and it's just messy. And so if you can roll with the punches and kind of let yourself not be put first, I think that's Mm -hmm. the more successful stories that I see. There's a crazy need for foster parents in the Adirondack region. I see it, the announcements from John Bernardi at the United Way all the time. And um, I, I'm not ready, right? But how can I help him? How can I help yeah. the, ch- the children that need that help? So there are a couple of ways. Um, the first I would say is if you know a family that's struggling where the kids are in danger of going into foster care, Um, So it could be that there's a drug issue. It could be that there's uh, mental health needs going on. It could be that the family is just struggling. You know, there's stress, there's maybe divorce is happening, whatever it is. Stepping in to support that family so that they don't have to put their kids into foster care is so, so helpful. Um, For kids, it's always traumatic when they have to leave their birth family, no matter what the circumstances. Mm. Um, If it's not like if you or and I were looking in on the situation and said, of course, their life will be better if they leave. Kids don't ever think that way. So interesting. getting in and 
um, providing any kind of support to those families as a preventative measure, I think is the biggest thing that we can do. Um, secondly, if you um, are able to provide um, any kind of supplies for foster care, it seems really simple, but like kids in foster care don't usually have any of their own belongings. And in some families, they're strapped financially. They may be able to take in one more child and have one more mouth to feed, but that doesn't mean they can necessarily buy them a new bike or send them to summer camp or anything like that. And so um, financial support is helpful. And then we have um, a lot of need for respite care too. So maybe like you don't want to be a parent, you're not ready for that, but you think for the weekend I could take a kid, you know, Mm. it doesn't have to be a long-term commitment. It can be more like babysitting. Um, We see some need for that too. Just like those short-term, sometimes middle of the night placements. Um, Sometimes it's like, you know, the foster parents are going to a conference or something and they just can't take the kids with them. So kind of stepping in and doing some babysitting is helpful. Um, And then just advocating, you know, if you have friends who are thinking of starting families, just saying to them, have you thought about doing foster care? Because most of the time they haven't or they haven't really explored it. So just Mm. bringing it up and having it be kind of more normalized is super helpful. I've heard, I've heard stories of, of kids in our region who, I mean, they go to school, they don't even see it coming and then they get, you know, yeah. They get told, hey, you're not going home. Like, exactly. Mom, mom, dad, whoever is not there. And uh, like, we're taking you somewhere else. I can't even imagine. I cannot even imagine being a teenager with all the other crap you're dealing with. <laughs> being a teenager just, isn't hard enough already. Right? Oh, my God. Or uh, even elementary school where you're still just trying to figure out the world and then that happens? It's heartbreaking at any age. You know, people think that it's easier for newborns, but how do you explain to a newborn why their mom isn't there anymore? You you can't. So actually there's studies that have said that it's toughest on newborns. And as the kids get older and older, the separation itself becomes less traumatic. Now on the flip side, if you have a 17 year old, they may have been living with all kinds of chaos and possibly Mm. neglect and abuse and whatever for 17 years. So the truth is that nobody gets out of the foster care system without scars and bruises, you know, emotionally. Um, So it's tough no matter what. And just being there to support those kids who have been going through a lot um, is really, really meaningful. Hmm. Do you watch This Is Us at all? I don't. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's a conversation for another day. But there's a a family um, in that show that, that goes through the foster care process and i was going to ask if that's accurate the depiction but it seemed accurate Mm -hmm. and it it, i mean i guess the short version of where i'm going with this is it it seems like there was a real struggle and you kind of articulated this a little bit uh before but between the foster parents trying to do what's best they think they're maybe the best for the child but the child this case a teenager doesn't care how destructive mm-hmm. uh, the lifestyle is at home, uh, wants to go home instead. Yeah. Home is home. Home is Home's a home. really powerful thing. Yeah. It really is. Um, we've been, I, I don't know if it's lucky, but it's just been our experience that the kids that have been with us have never been close to going home. There's never been like trial visits or anything like that. And so 
um, with our girls, they were really in foster care. Um, <laughs> I say it like they, they all were, but mm-hmm. with the girls, they were still having visits with their parents. Um, when we first started visiting with them, we were asked after about six months, whether we'd consider adopting, but it took another year after that before the parents had surrendered their rights. And so for 18 months, we were living with these girls who had our mm-hmm. whole hearts and they could have gone back. It was, it was very possible. And it's, I don't even know how you do it, but you have to kind of just love those kids and know that being with their birth parents, if it can be safe, is the best thing for them. Yep. It's tough. Yep. Um, with Brian, he had already been free for adoption for a while. And so... Brian is the Brian, third yeah. child that you The last adopted. piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So um, with him, he was never going anywhere but with us. So it was a whole different experience. And, you know... Some of the reason why we chose to do it that way is we didn't want to put the girls through that. We didn't want them to have possibly a little brother and then have him go away somewhere. And so we were kind of intentional with looking for a child who there wasn't that legal risk there. Mm. That's so interesting. It's so interesting. And like that is arguably your second story of gumption. I mean, that's, I can't like... Obviously, that's it's about the the children and and finding what's best for them, but knowing that you want a family and trying to navigate that, yeah, Woo. <laughs> it Woo. takes that some must real have been soul searching. Too, yeah, because you're right. It's like we did this for selfish reasons. We wanted a family, and I'm cool with that. I don't feel any guilt about that at all. Mm-hmm. We we wanted a family, um, but then. The way that we got there, we had to kind of be selfless and be willing to roll with the punches. And there are a lot of punches in foster care. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of disappointments. There's a lot of miscommunications. And um, while kids are in care, they've got the social worker and then the commissioner of social services. And they're the guardians. You're not the guardian, even though you've got this kid with you day in and day out and you know what's going to make them cry and you know you know what they like for dinner and all these really intimate things about them and they're they're your child they're they're not really while they're in care yeah um so you have yeah. to kind of put yourself second and it i think that it's good training to be a parent anyway cuz that's what you do anyway when you have a kid is mm. what they need is first no matter what that's paramount so you're kind of forced into it, especially. With so you, men- care. you mentioned there's a 30 hour course, mm-hmm. a test or a, d- there's no test. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so I could pass. Yeah. Not, I'm not, <laughs> not, um, uh, yeah, I'm still not there yet, but anybody who's listening that might be on the fence, what's, Absolutely. what's after that? So they call it a mutual selection process. So you spend 30 hours with people from department of social services taking this class, um, they're also going to come out to the house and interview you. They'll ask for recommendations, um, family and friends who can kind of speak to your character. Um, and at the end, they say, we think you'll be a good fit or we don't think you're going to be a good fit. And so mm. there's no written test, but they do make a judgment as to whether it's going to work out or not. Um, and then you get placed on this list. And so we were we graduated from our class in December um, and from December until April, I think my phone was within like six inches of me <laughs> the whole time. Like when I was in the shower, when I was sleeping, like waiting for that, that phone, call. the ringer was all the way up. Um, I was just 
yeah, it was like being nine months pregnant for like four months, except for maybe a little bit less physically uncomfortable. Yeah, a little less Um, bloating, maybe. But I wasn't sleeping. Yeah, Uh, maybe not. I was stress eating a little bit. So So maybe not. But um, we waited and waited and waited, and it got to April, and we finally got a phone call. We've got these two little girls for you, and they'll be at your house at like five o'clock tonight. I thought, oh, my God, it's happening. Our family's here. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it gets to like six o'clock that night. And we get another call and they say, the girls aren't coming today. Sorry. You're going to have to wait till they go back to court and maybe next week. And so we're like, okay, that's fine. We, you know, went out and bought some cute pajamas and some (laughs) baby wipes and all that stuff. We got all ready. And then the next week came and they were like, no, it's not happening today. And so. Oh my God. So after waiting for all that time. We waited another two months worth of Wednesdays when they were in family court waiting for the girls to come. Um, we had gotten to the point where we're, I was so attached. Like, all I knew was their names. It's like Ayana and Athena. They are my kids. I didn't have any pictures. I didn't have any backstory. But, like, they were in my heart. It was yeah. It was real. And um, we got to the last day. It was June 18th. And they said, if they don't come today, they're not coming. I'm like, okay, all right. Oh, boy. And so I had kind of already gotten myself ready for that and said, it's just not meant to be. For whatever reason, it's going to be okay. Well, we finally got a call around 3 o'clock that day. I was actually driving down to Glens Falls. I pulled over, sobbed, and then got back and um, came home. And they finally got there, and they're just perfect little girls, and we've we've had a blast with them ever since. How how was that first interaction i bet that was i bet that was tough it was because again what have they gone through before they showed up they don't you're ready but Mm -hmm. are they probably were they ready no they had no idea what was going on so how old were they um, athena was 17 months and ayana was three and a half oh wow so they were were real little yeah but Ayana is actually like an 85-year-old woman in a little body. So <laughs> she was like completely alert, completely with it the whole time. So um, she came in and was just like ready to roll. She had been, this kind of happens a lot with kids in foster care. She mm-hmm. had walked through a lot of different strangers' houses before. It was like no big deal for it her. It was normal. Mm-hmm. And Athena just kind of clung right to me and we went out and had pizza and bought the right size diapers and (laughs) (laughs) um that night she ayana went to bed like nothing athena slept right on my chest and it was good from there wow yeah that's crazy and eventually you were able to adopt two years and a a month later wow it took a long time to get through the whole legal process and it's taking even longer now because so many families are affected by substance abuse issues. And so it's a little different. Like if somebody just can't function, then that's probably not going to change very much over the course Mm -hmm. of time. And so that can be a faster process. But when there's somebody who's got substance abuse issues, um, the state's trying really, really hard to get them back on track and then get them to the point where they can parent. So it's almost like a two-step process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so kids are staying in care a lot longer now before adoptions. Mm. Yeah, we had a, a presentation today. It happened to, we had a rotary meeting today, and uh, John Bernardi did uh, showed us his documentary for the uh, Spark Coalition. Oh, how was it? 
Phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, and of course, you know, there's people I know very well in that video, close friends sharing their stories and, um, they're directly affected by it. And yeah. and it's like, it's I've heard those stories from them directly, but then you're just sitting in that room, like seeing how real it is again and again. And like, it's so funny because I'll be the first to admit this. That is, that is an issue I totally recognize is just crushing our communities. But in my day to day, I don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm, I'm trying to train myself to think about it so I can do what I can to help. Right. But, but it's not very visible. Even though it's so prevalent around o- here, the opioid really dec- epidemic and drugs and alcoholism and everything—I mean, the, the documentary was phenomenal, though. And so, the my point of bringing that up, though, is, you know, I I feel like I sort of got a an elevator pitch version. You know, it was like maybe a thirty-five minute video of what's happening to a lot of these kids' parents. Mm-hmm. One story in the video was a, a mother. And you could not do you could not do anything but sympathize for her when she told her story about her struggle to get her child back. Yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's like holy smokes, the worlds are colliding here, and you're like, you know, there's the Hannah Provost of the world who's just trying to have a family and take care of somebody, but then there's the mom in that video too. Huh? It's like I want my child back. It's like, and then there's the child in the middle. Right. And we've tried really consciously to not put anyone in the middle. I mean, we, we've aligned ourselves really clearly with the interests of the kids. And um, in every case, like we've wanted the parents to get better. When we've done respite care, short-term placements, we want those parents to get better. Like that's the yeah. best thing for the kid. Um, we've learned so much about how you get to that point. Um, one of the weird things about foster care is that all of the Um, documents that go to court, you get a copy of all of those. And so, you know, every time we get 400 pages of the history and you look back at what the parents had for upbringing, you think, oh my God, you had no chance. Like I couldn't have overcome that. How could we expect you to do anything better about it? Um, So it really, it, it puts a human face on things and it lets you realize that some people have huge advantages in this world Mm. and some are just it's hard. It's hard yeah. to come out of it. And there's lots of good stories of people coming out of very rough situations and, and more power to them. But I think those of us who have the privilege of kind of having our lives together can do more to really mm-hmm. help empower those people and give them a hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about do more. I mean, I, in the in the spirit of, of this, like, what are the organizations that someone could volunteer for to help maybe like prep backpacks or little things like that. What are some of those organizations locally that do that work? Then I'm, well, first of all, John Bernardi, United Way of the Adirondacks, (laughs) you can't go wrong and you can't say no to John. So, um, I walked in there again, like not really ready to take on any kind of leadership role in the community and said, I want to help. And he put me on the allocations committee. And so in, essentially after we've raised all that money, we have to go out and spend it. And, um, the United way is an incredible steward of that money and has a community group that goes through every organization's financials. 
um, they have to explain you were part of that process. I remember with being BS. one of those, one of those. Yeah, and we're <laughs> and always hoping for just a little bit more <laughs> to help the kids at summer camp. Exactly. But admittedly, kids going to summer camp, you know, versus kids needing foster support, or so, I, I get it. There's like, no right answer. There's you know, it there's really no right answer, but man, because that's tough. Yeah, but putting kids in summer camp can give them that positive trajectory so that they never need any of the other services true so one's really true. not more important than absolutely. the other we have absolutely. to attack it from all angles so united way will put you to work get you involved immediately and your time will always be well spent i feel um, i think that john's very conscious of people's time and money and make sure that they're both spent very very well i hope he's listening because i hey, spoke john. yeah hey john i spoke I spoke to you today. Remember, you you said you're gonna come on the podcast, so we'll see. Oh, great! We'll see It'll if he does. Yeah. But, um, Do it, John. I'm putting it out there. I'm putting it out there to the world. I had a conversation with you, so we'll see what happens. Hold but, him to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think uh, him and his team and the network that they are leveraging is phenomenal for our area. Unparalleled. Yeah. yeah. Um, another one that's really exciting is the MHAB project and so oh yeah yeah yep yeah i mean mike carpenter and betsy vicencio really have their heart in it um, i met with betsy a couple weeks ago to figure out how we can get some more financial literacy for the residents of mhab um, and for those who don't know it's kind of like a clean living community um not quite a halfway house but yep. but close to it um so great repurposing of the old Clinton Community College dorms and I think a really positive thing for our community. And so they're trying to get um, people to bring their talents into that organization and say, how can we help make these people's lives better? How can we put them on that positive trajectory? Um, so getting involved that way. Uh, you mentioned the backpack program. I was involved with that for a little bit. Um, they will all around the region that send home backpacks worth of food for the weekend i mean it's as simple as that jceo or is i'm thinking of a different there's a few backpack programs that you can find probably in plattsburgh it's jceo there's one started here at Peru elementary they're out in malone they're they're all over the place now it's kind of spread like wildfire and that's a program that um the regional food bank has kind of piloted and so if it's not available in your area what an impact to start one for your school system Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's lots of different ways that you can just make these small changes that make someone's life better. Like what could be greater than that? What greater feeling is there? Um, the Minor Institute in the last couple of years does these um, team building kind of exercises and they'll buy a couple of bikes that are disassembled and then they'll race to, to safely and accurately put these bikes together and then they get given to kids in foster care. So no way. Yeah, I had no idea. It's so cool. That's awesome. It's so fun to see. Um, so yeah, there's there's so many ways in this region and I think all over. I mean, call the United, if you're not in the North Country, call the United Way near you. Um, look for like a volunteerism center. There's so many different ways to get involved and mm. um, it's just, I don't know, just leaves you feeling good and knowing you did something. The United Way serves as a great conduit for that stuff. And I know the United Way, Hickok and Boardman, uh, my employers is very active with, uh, the Vermont United Way and like just seeing the impact the United Ways across the country are having. It's, it's, it's good. So, you know, my partner, Andy explained it really well. It's kind of as though, um, the United Way is looking out throughout the community 
and it's spring in the North Country. There's lots of potholes, right? Um, so it's almost like the United Way is going around with just a truckload of tar and trying to fill the deepest potholes first. Mm. Um, we're really lucky to have it. It's almost like insurance for the North Country to have this organization that can be very flexible and take whatever that need is out there and just take care of it. Just do it. Like no red tape, no bureaucracy, just we see the need and we're going to do something about it. Our, I lo- why I love Plattsburgh and I think why my wife loves Plattsburgh and maybe even why you, I'm going to guess maybe why <laughs> you love Plattsburgh is sort of we're just big enough where things are clicking. There's a lot going on, but we're just small enough where the opportunity to engage if you want to engage, if you want to be a volunteer, your opportunity to sit down with somebody like John Bernardi or, uh, you know, Michelle LeBeau at the, yeah. at, the, at the hospital or or Mike Carpenter. I mean, these people have made themselves so approachable. Yeah. And our, I think our community is very special in that way because if you really want to get involved, you can. And I think... That's where... Even if you don't really want to get involved, you're going to get roped in. Yeah. <laughs> we will find you and we will rope you in. No, uh, I, I, you know, I. Th- this is going to sound kind of egotistical and I really don't intend it to be this way. But when I go out to dinner with my family or um, I go out to an event... Uh, they're always joking and they're saying, Ryan, you're the mayor of Plattsburgh. Oh my gosh, yes. My friend Nikki who comes to visit will yeah. say the exact same thing. To you? To me, yeah. yeah. Oh, Hannah, you're the mayor. Okay. Yeah, I'm going out to dinner with and the mayor because you always run into people. You can't go anywhere without seeing people yes. you know. But but they're not, it's not people that you just like, oh, hey man, like you're a friend. It's like people that you're doing work with mm-hmm. you know you're volunteering people you're that trying you're impressed to, with yes who you look up to yes and um that's i think that's just a beauty of the area we live is if you really want to engage volunteer and network there are so many opportunities to do that here doors are open you go down to a big city somewhere and i just feel like you're gonna struggle to get the same level of connectivity that you can get here. And I think that's really a cultural thing that's specific to Plattsburgh. I mean, there are a lot of small towns too where you can't get anyone to open the door for you because you're not from there or you are from there, but you're from the wrong family. Um, I think Plattsburgh is really unique in that. And that's something that I noticed right away that there's nobody who's too good to go to lunch with you or return your Mm -hmm. call. Um, If you have a purpose for getting in touch with somebody, they will get back to you. Um, people are just very open. I think that everybody's really, there's a sense of being on the same team and like Mm -hmm. everybody's looking to try to advance the causes of this area and they're doing it together. It's really neat. Yep. I, I a hundred percent, 120% agree. (laughs) And honestly, ADKYP is where it all started for me. And, you know, joining that first board meeting, uh, with you there as president, I was like, wow. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to stick around here. I'm going to learn something. And from there it went to, you know, the That's next thing. That's a big thing. compliment coming and from the, like the Boy Scout program where he would become an Eagle Scout already. So <laughs> <laughs> I take that as a very high compliment. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, I, well, I've talked on many different podcasts with friends and stuff about my experience in scouting. And that, I mean, certainly has been life changing for me. Um, and I've said this before too, but I think 
I think the one thing that scouting did for me that a lot of other things like sports or music or theater or all these different clubs that I was involved with, scouting did for me differently is it forced me into leadership decisions very young. Mm -hmm. Like you take just the Eagle Scout project, like for those who aren't aware, most people are, but if you're not, in order to achieve the Eagle Scout highest rank, you have to do your own service project. Oftentimes as any uh, anywhere from 14 to 17 year old, depending on where you're at. And that's a lot to ask, a, let's just say 15 or 16 year old. Yeah to call up Lowe's because you want to build a playground and you got to figure out how to get it for free or pay for it. If you're going to have to pay for it and fundraise. 15 year olds don't even want to talk to any adult, much less ask oh them for a bunch gosh. of free materials. Yeah. So, I mean, thank you for the compliment, but you know, that's just a testament to that program. And, and the privilege that I had of my dad being super engaged and supporting me. If he didn't kick me in the rear end a few times, I probably wouldn't have made it either. That's but that's his parenting. his yeah. love for me recognizing that as a valuable thing that I would get. Right. Yeah. Um, I feel like we talked in the beginning about like, I, I remember, you know, when you were president of ADKYP, like 2013-ish, and then shortly thereafter, you went on just like a tear of like, <laughs> I'm in charge. I, well, not I'm in charge, but like jokingly kinda I was like involved yeah. <laughs> like I was you were the mayor of, <laughs> you were the mayor of Plattsburgh I mean volunteer of the year not business person of the year but volunteer of the year for the chamber of commerce I mean, for those who aren't aware our chamber is legit and you got yeah. that award that's crazy what it, I mean and then you got woman of distinction for the girl scouts the year later it's like for that one I cannot explain, but I was very <laughs> humbled by it. Um, for the chamber, I mean, that was you talked a little bit with Steve Frederick about cold calling. Mm. I like leaned right into cold calling, but I had to do it my way. So, um, working with the bank and being new to the community, I knew I needed to meet a ton of people, and I knew that I did not want to call them and talk about checking accounts or the commercial loan rate this month or, um, you know, FDIC limits. Not interested. I just like <laughs> kind of thought like, would I want to get that phone call? Absolutely not. And so I didn't do that. Um, instead, I engaged with the chamber and figured out everything that they have going on and just kept raising my hand. I mean, that was really a lot of my success during that time was just raising my hand over and over and over mm. again. Um, so kind of whenever Jody Parks, who is a phenomenal organizer, has yep. so much spirit. She's yep. just she's yep. wonderful. Um, whenever she needed something, I just said yes for a long time, you know, three or four years that I was just saying yes. Um, I was part of the JCEO Community Action Angels during that time. Um, I was donating platelets. I was everywhere, just like everything that I could do. I was trying to say yes to um, and lots of time with ADKYP, as you know. You've, oh, yeah. you've now put in, I think, more time than I did. But at the time, it was a, a labor of love and <laughs> i feel like i feel like everybody at adkyp looks at me like i'm the grandpa now <laughs> i don't know i just it's fast how it's, it's funny how quick that happens yeah i mean well if you consider the average tenure of that organization you know maybe two years right. i think maybe i don't know i've seen a lot of people come and go since i've 
come. You right. Know? And uh, you're like the Warren Buffett. You're just like yeah. <laughs> the old guy in the corner I don't know, that but, knows it all. Um, I think that organization, not to just keep, you know, talking about ADKYP, but I think that organization does a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, when I had the opportunity to become president three years ago, I think it was the right time. Yeah. And uh, now it's the right time for someone else to get inspired and make it their own. It's almost like an incredible leadership building course. Yeah. That you don't pay for, but it's also not free. You have to work really, really hard for it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's tough because like, obviously when you're a young person, you probably, odds are until you are hit your late twenties, I think you're probably still searching for that epiphany moment. Like we talked about at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the podcast of like, I just made it. I figured this out. I found the job that I want. And when you're trying most people are engaging with ADKYP. They're in that process. And because of that, they get pulled in all sorts of different life-changing directions. And their passion is there for the mission of ADKYP, you know, attracting and retaining young people to the area. What are you going to do if you get your perfect job opportunity that doesn't allow you to do that anymore for right. whatever reason? Right. And so the, just the organization's turnover is tough. Um, somehow I've managed to... But that's part of what makes it great persevere through (laughs) persevere through that and i've hung on through some low times low 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 times uh where i thought we had like the all-star team board and then everybody had to leave and i was stuck um but But think about how that's prepared you going forward oh yeah the stakes may have seemed high at the time but looking back on it it's like okay so adkyfp falls apart like so what now you're on your own, really. Like you're yep. creating a business within a business. Yep. And the stakes are much higher. And you know how to get through those low times because you've done it. Like we we think about this a lot as parents. We try to make opportunities for our kids to fail when the stakes are like really low, right? Like so mm. this past week, my she I don't think she'd like me telling the story, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, these are always the best ones. Um, My nine-year-old had her first ever sleepover birthday party, right? It was so important to her. It was just a huge deal. And it went great. She, you know, made her way through it and she got all these presents. So one of them was this huge container of slime. So if you have kids in that age range, like slime is a big deal. I don't know how it got to be such a big deal, but it is a big deal. Um, I think slime was cool when I was nine. We had like oobleck. Like remember oh, the yeah, cornstarch yeah, yeah. and water? Yeah. Yeah. Best craft project ever. Oh my gosh. Awesome. Ever. So I guess I do get it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so she decides um, yesterday that she wants to have that slime right now. And she just like wasn't listening to us. Um, and I threw it away. It was like... Oh, yeah, I'm that you parent. threw away the I slime? Threw it away in the garbage. You couldn't just like put it on the counter for a while no. and it, you're just, it's no, done. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> gone. Like once the God. disrespect comes out and once oh. the poor decisions come out, it's yep. just gone. And we have moments like that, you know, as time goes on, it's like, you know what? I'd rather take away her slime than have to take away her car later or take away, you know, I'm not paying for college or something like that. You want to really let people fail as much as they can as the stakes are Mm. low so that they get it. And then when the stakes are high, it's like, well, I've been here before. I already know what to do. 
Amy Kretzer talked about that, but more of She's like such a rock star. She is. <laughs> Amy, you listening? You know, She's listening. Yeah, you're a rock star. But the falling out of a tree mm-hmm. versus you know Johnny, that that limb's too thin. Don't go there. Right. Right. We yeah I we can't do it for our kids mm. and kind of the same thing with with young professionals you know if you have somebody in your office that you're mentoring or anything like that you have to let them fail that's the only yep. way you learn I mean the best things in my life have come from failures um, and that's when you really get into the real stuff and um, when you can do soul searching and figure out well like that felt really bad I'm not gonna let that happen again um, so I think that whenever we're in a position of either parenting or mentoring or whatever it is, you have to let that failure happen. It's so valuable. Yep. 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 Absolutely. I'd like to shift gears slightly and give you an opportunity to tell me, cause I'm interested and curious, but also the listeners about Lamanto and yeah, company. Absolutely. So this is kind of a, you just, you became a partner, uh, college dropout fired <laughs> and now partner of yeah. a successful financial bad at math <laughs> just yeah kidding. you said you don't, didn't even like tell i don't me about have that. a passion for math i'm not bad at math but okay. i don't have any passion yeah right for it. does that need to be cut out now like oh i'm a financial person but bad uh, at math. yeah no keep it in it's okay <laughs> all right so yeah <laughs> so um so i kind of had like we said my eureka moment when i was working for a bank um, at that time, I was a business development manager and officer. So two big words there in the title. It was like a big deal for somebody who was 26 at the time, maybe. Um, and I decided I really wanted to be a financial advisor. There wasn't any way to do it inside of the company that I was working for. Um, a mutual friend introduced me to Andy, and he was looking for an assistant. And so... Andy Lamanto. Andy Lamanto. So, um, legend, <laughs> the man, the legend. <laughs> um, so, you know, we had an interview and I made it clear from the get go, like I'm willing to, to take a step back and go from being an officer to an assistant. I'm all right with that, but I need to know that you kind of share my dream. And like, I want to be an advisor. I want to be doing this for real. I don't want to be an administrator always, or be someone's sidekick. Like I really want to do this. And he was right on board. He, I give him so much credit for that. He kind of mm. saw the same vision with me to begin with and um, treated me like a partner from day one. So we'd be going into meetings and introducing me to these clients that he'd spent 10 years cultivating the relationship and would come in and say, this is Hannah. She's my partner. And that was it. That was that. I knew nothing. I had no stake in that at all. Um, I had no right to it yet, but he just gave it to me from day one. And so that it was really powerful for me. Um, I learned as much as I could within the bank. It it came to a point where we decided to uh, leave the bank. Um, Well, he left and started his own company. And then Mm -hmm. um, very quickly afterwards, I said, this is the person who's been teaching me and the person who sees my dream. Like you have to cling to that when you have somebody who really believes in you that like the rest works out. If you have the people around you who share your vision and who are willing to help you see it through, everything else falls into place. So I, I hold, I don't know if he knows this because I, <clears throat> I never see him. I just, I don't know. I just don't cross paths with him very much, unfortunately. But um, I hold Andy in very high regard. 
when I was with my previous employer, you know, you, you do the pro the retirement program for, mm-hmm. for them, ETS staffing and recruiting. And, uh, can I say that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you do the program for them. You do, you know, a phenomenal job, but I wasn't in the program yet. And I was in Vermont for our branch. You know, we were, the, my mission was to grow the, help them grow their satellite branch in yeah. Vermont. And he made a trip across the lake to come see me. And I don't know who else he was going to see or, you know, maybe he had 10 appointments lined up. I don't know. But he did such a great job making me feel like he truly cared about me making my future brighter financially and just being like, hey, man, I'm not here to sell you on anything. But I'm just giving you the. I'm just telling you what it's about and why I think I can help you. And that approach was just really impressive. Not a, not to mention, he got on a ferry and went across the lake just to just to do that. So I, I'll never forget that, and I, I'll always remember that. Even though you know, I, we have Hickok and Boardman has a great retirement planning sure, right. thing that I'm with now. But yeah. you know that that was that's huge. That's huge. That's the kind of thing that um, you, you need, that's gumption. It is. It really is. And, um, we kind of talked about putting people on that upward trajectory. That's what we do with financial planning. And so we're really lucky that we have a very wide array of clients. Um, you know, anywhere from, we have a couple of like 16 and 17 year olds who are just waiting for the law to be on their side to start an IRA. Mm -hmm. Um, and we have clients in their nineties, you know, all the way through, we get to help them make incremental improvements to their lives all the time. And that's really cool to see. It's like, um, it's kind of just like watching someone grow up a little bit every time. Um, every time, you know, all kinds of life events happen and there's plenty of times where our plan is off track and whatever. Um, but we're able to reel it back in, help bring rationality to the conversation and compassion and say, I know this is really, really hard. I'm here to help you with it. It's, Mm. it's such a cool job. I kind of, like you said, you know, you never, as a little girl wanted to be a financial planner. That was not like my calling or anything like that. Um, I think Andy was born in a suit. If you've, seen, <laughs> <laughs> if you've seen Boss Baby, I think that was Andy, like reading the stock reports when he was in diapers. But yeah, I was not that person. I really, it took me a while to get there and I came to it, kind of fell into it backwards and I'm so happy I did. Um, but it's just, it's so neat to help take something that's really stressful for people and scary and turn it into something positive. Like, yeah, we know this is scary, but let's move forward. Let's keep improving your situation. Um, I love it. Yeah. I really do. What would you say your specialty is if you have one? Uh, we do work a lot with retirement plans. And so, um, we love going into a business where usually the employees would not go out on their own and hire a financial advisor. Um, the only advice they might've gotten in the past could be from, either people their age who didn't know any more than they know or from parents or, or maybe even their employer um, and give them access to advice. I love that. My favorite um, client is a preschool. They're three hours from here. I have to drive down to see them. Um, they're in a low-income neighborhood, and these ladies have chosen to just help kids. Like That's their whole mission in life is to take 
um, kids who are two, three, four years old and give them a good start to life. Meanwhile, their finances have oftentimes been neglected and they may feel like they're kind of in a place of despair or a place where, you know, retirement's just a joke to them. Like it, it couldn't happen. They haven't um, gotten prepared for it. And I get to go in and say, no, like, let's recognize all the gains that you've made in the past and let's make a plan and let's do it. And it's just, it's really neat that the best moment that I've had so far in my career uh, out of everything that I've done was working with my mom. Um, she, you know, had a divorce early mm -hmm. on, um, has always been a minister. And so the pay's not been great and has always been really frugal. And at a couple of years ago came to me and said, I, can you help me figure out whether I can ever retire? She was thinking that she would literally never be able to retire, that she'd have to die on the job because she was just, she was feeling so inadequate. Um, she hmm. felt like she could yeah. not possibly have enough. And it's not something that you can just eyeball. It's something that really has to be measured. And so I was able to measure it and say to her, mom, you're doing great. You're going to be able to retire. You know, this is all going to come together in a way that she never, ever thought it would happen. And just a sigh of relief on the other side of the phone when she's in Florida. Usually I do it in person. She's in Florida. Nice. Um, when I could tell her, like, this is not just like a joke. Like, this will really happen. This could be reality for you. It's just amazing. She's worked so hard her whole life. And she had never been told that before that this could happen. So wow. it's really neat to empower people like that. I really, I just, I get a huge kick out of it. It's, it doesn't get boring to me ever. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's how I feel about my gig. So mm -hmm. I, I'm super happy to hear you feel the same way about yours. Cause I know that's something special. It is. You ready for the wrap up okay. rapid fire <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> questions, stories of gumption podcast, rapid fire. I can't actually say that cause I stole this idea from Tim Ferriss, but, nice. um, he does this occasionally with his podcasts. And so, um, the first rapid fire question, very simple. Is there a book that's changed your life? What is it and why? I love reading. So there are a lot of books that I have like so thoroughly enjoyed. And I think just that love of reading and learning has changed my life on its own. But the book. That's fair. <laughs> I, you know, you got to read. Yeah. People, I mean, people don't appreciate that enough, but you have to read or listen to audiobooks or whatever yeah, works for you. Exactly. And so just that on its own has changed my life. But the book that I, th I think shapes what I do every day, um, which is not a, a literary book, or I don't know if I'm even proud of admit admitting it, um, a book called Parenting with Love and Logic. Interesting. Yeah. I'm not big on self-help books or parenting books or anything like that, but um, Brad and I read this book really um, early into our foster care journey. And it talks about giving people choices and establishing for yourself what the acceptable outcomes are before you give people choices. And so it's kind of meant to be applied for kids, but it actually works for like everyone in your life. Um, it Cause just, we're all just big, dumb kids. We're all big babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and people just like choices. And if you establish for yourself first, like these, first of all, having the mindset that there's more than one acceptable outcome to you is huge. Like right there, your life has become better because 
if there's A, B, and C, all of them are okay. So if you're already in that mindset, like life is good. If you're then able to say to somebody that you're in a relationship with or working with or your child, I trust you enough to make a decision about this and I'm truly going to be okay with whatever you choose, then they're happy. All of a sudden you've empowered them and told them that you love them and you trust them and do what you think. Um, so that's, that's one that like every day, pretty much I use that. That's great. What's it called again? Parenting with love and logic. Parenting with love and logic. Interesting. I like it. Question number two. What advice would you give your 17-year-old self knowing what you know now? Don't rest on your laurels. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my 17-year-old self, like things were really good. Um, and things are great now. I mean, I, I'm really lucky sure. to have gone through a couple different phases. But um, just don't don't think that you have your whole life planned out and be ready for, for what comes because it's all good. Hmm. I like that. I like that. I heard from our conversation before that uh, you had listened to a few of the episodes before you got here. So you may have stumbled upon my number one question, Mm -hmm. the board of directors question. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not going to let you pick. I'm going to change it. I'm going to change it so it's a true (laughs) rapid fire. Uh, You can't pick a celebrity or, or a famous person, but I... I think you can handle this one. Okay. Real life oh, right no. now. Okay. Currently, who are your three board of directors? Wow. I'm really lucky that I I really do have a board of directors. <laughs> I, knew, really I, cool. knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I can narrow it to three, but I'll keep it brief. So um, my husband is just, Brad keeps me honest and keeps challenging me all the time. And I so appreciate that about him. Um, and he's just, he's been amazing to go on the parenting journey with, uh, my sister listens to me over the most inane things. The other day I accidentally had a turbo shot in my coffee and it sent me on a caffeine, <laughs> just like bender for the whole day. And she listened to me complain for the whole day about what a bad choice I had made. Um, my mom is like just always so supportive and has other ideas of how to get through things. Um, my partner, Andy, is just so smart. He's just so smart. Like, I, there's yeah. nothing I can throw at him that he doesn't um, have some crazy insight on. Um, it's important it's, to... Sorry, I interrupted no, you. No, go but right ahead. I was just, I'll interject and just say, I mean, it's so important to have a mentor. Yes. That truly mentors. A champion. Yes. Is, I think, what you really need. You look at this person and you're like, I want to, I want to be just like that person. Right. Maybe better, but if I can be just like them and they like, show me the way Yoda, like I can. Yeah. <laughs> and I think not just one person. Like, so another person yeah. is my friend, Mary, who, um, but she's like, show me what it is to be a professional woman and how to forge your own way and make room for yourself at the table. Um, I think with mentors, um, you're really lucky if you can find two or three people and pick out the things from them that you want to learn and then forge your own way too. Last one is my friend, Nikki. She is just amazing. She, um, bought her own farm like five years ago and has shown me how to be an entrepreneur and 
go through the tough times and mm. ride on the highs and just kill it. She's awesome. So I'm really lucky. I've got like a great, great team that I can call on. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. What You're going to get back into the volunteering thing? You're going to take over the world again sometime <laughs> soon? or? I think so. I'm, I'm trying to see what my next step is. I've been really lucky to be working very intensely with the United Way in the last couple of years. And um, they just, John just uses my time so well that <laughs> it's hard to go anywhere else. <laughs> that's a, that's a, at the, what was it? The annual dinner, the, the running joke, I think Billy Jones used was, you can't tell John no. You can't. I've tried. It's <laughs> you impossible. Can't. Yeah. You can't. It's, it's Because true. he's asking from such a good place. I mean, I hope that that's, me when if we're talking about people we want to emulate like john bernardi and kathy snow for different reasons yep they just they're just they full of light like they just emanate goodness yep i i wholeheartedly agree well hannah thank you so much for being on the eighth episode of the stories of gumption podcast you definitely have gumption that's for sure in, in more ways than one it's been awesome talking to you and maybe we'll have you on again sounds good thank you so much um just a reminder everybody uh we are sponsored by open gate farmstead if you want some eggs and you haven't had any of their eggs before they're fantastic and just let them know reach out on facebook or instagram check out their youtube and let them know you heard about them from the gumption podcast and they'll give you a buck off your first eggs uh they're worth it they really are and we are also sponsored by Kavanaugh Realty. Reach out to Galen Trombley on uh, Facebook. Uh, he also has his podcast, um, but Kavanaugh Realty. Really appreciate their support of the Stories of Gumption podcast as well. Until next time, everybody, have a good one. <laughs>